Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host. And today I have with us Megan Yeager from Cake and Knife Blog. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? And she's actually in the studio because she's local to Denver. Yep. Have you always lived in Denver? Uh, I've been here since I was about 11 years old, so... Long oh, time. Oh, wow. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Did you go to college and school here as well? Yeah, I did. I went to University of Denver, um, and I just haven't found a reason to leave yet, so. I follow the <laughs> University of Denver quite a bit because I love soccer, and they have such a oh, great nice. men's soccer team and hockey as well. Yeah. I and love so, going to their hockey games. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and in your background and how you started your own food blog and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I, my family is really big in, into food. So food has kind of always been the center of my life. Um, my grandma was a huge cook. She was just kind of our own little mini Julia child. She studied at Le Cordon Bleu. She had the most amazing recipes and we would always just gather around the table and that just has been something that's been a part of my life. Um, from when I can remember. And Despite all that, I didn't actually get into food. Um, I started out just going to college for uh, international studies. I was interested in kind of the global aspect of either government or um, nonprofit organizations, but I ended up in marketing, oddly enough. And after that, at, at like one point in my life, I think it was, gosh, it was about seven or eight years ago, um, I just felt really lost. Um, I just kind of had one of those midlife, well, quarter life crisis, I guess would be more accurate. Uh, and after that, I, I just decided I kind of followed in a friend's footsteps and started blogging about everything that I was feeling and what I was going through. And at that same time, I started getting back into cooking, um, and really starting to kind of mimic my grandma. She had passed away at that point and bringing her back into my kitchen. And I started writing about that. And then from there, I basically had this whole world of the food blog community opened up to me and it just kind of snowballed from there. And I just had this insane passion for it. Um, About three years into starting that blog, I quit my corporate job and I just started going, doing freelance and blogging. And basically it was, you know, mostly freelance, small portion blogging at that point, but started building it up from there and... Yeah, now it's become my everyday life. (laughs) And explain this to me. I mean, blog, I mean, just because I think that a lot of people know what blogs are, but people don't really understand what, I mean, what are you conveying and what's your purpose behind the blog and and what is the message you're hoping to pass on? Yeah, so uh, Cake and Knife, my blog, it really focuses on everyday gatherings through food and travel. Um, Like I mentioned before, gathering around the table with my family around an amazing meal was a centerpiece of my life. And I know that is a huge part of pretty much everyone's lives. Um, so I really want to bring that sense of gathering back into, uh, everyone's home and also as a part of their travel. So I'm creating recipes that are, uh, uncomplicated, but have these bold flavors that are something exciting and new that you can try and really will bring people around the table and, help you make those memories that, you know, you'll look back on and cherish. And then the travel part of my blog also kind of, it, it's more focused on foodie adventures and what, you know, food lovers should be looking to do in various cities around the world. So my travels have kind of taken me all over from 
New York to Miami, um, as far as Prague and Copenhagen, um, and just really focusing on that aspect. Yeah, those are uh, <clears throat> Prague's my one of my favorite cities on this. Yeah, planet. Oh. I'm like, it blew me away. I actually, right? I tell this story to people all the time. I'm like. Deborah and I land in there, and I usually do my research before I go anywhere, but I'm like, mm-hmm. Prague, Czech Republic, it's Eastern Europe, I have no idea, and I didn't yeah. do any homework, and we got to the hotel, and it was in the old Russian part of of the area, or I should oh, say the cool. communist influence, and I'm like, oh, this is okay, and <laughs> where are we really? And then we literally crossed this train tracks into like the old Prague city, and I'm mm-hmm. like, holy crap, and it just keeps going, and oh, it's yeah. like... Like, it's one of those things that I wasn't disturbed during World War II. So it's just Mm -hmm. so amazing. Like, I'm still, I think I've talked about this literally 17 (laughs) times this past week. And we were at a wedding and a friend of ours is going to Prague. So I'm like, it blows you away. It's one of the coolest places I've ever been. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was on my husband's bucket list and I kind of was like, okay, this is the city you want to go to. I want to go to Copenhagen. So we'll split that trip up. And... It just blew me away. I mean, the food um, the food scene, the cocktail scene there is just incredible. I mean, we were really shocked at how amazing of a time we had. We just yeah. weren't expecting that beauty and that um, that culture. It was, it was really surprising and yeah, really it's, exciting. It's really amazing. And they create all their own liquors and stuff. Mm-hmm. And actually, anyone who doesn't know, I think I'm pretty sure Budweiser is, is the original to Czech Republic, but not the Budweiser we know. Uh, I may be yeah. wrong about that, but I know um, you might. Are you thinking of Pilsner or Kell? Uh, Pilsner or Kell's there too. It's yeah. really cool. I just think the whole what they do there is pretty amazing, and we ha- had a chance to try some of the liquors there that people make off the cherry trees and stuff right. like that at home, and and we would call it bootleg here, but it's right. the real stuff. I mean, yeah. and they love it there, and so many different drinks, like you said, the cocktail mm-hmm. scene. So let me just take a step back for a second understand so do you blog both about what you cook in your own kitchen and also what you experience through travel or around here in denver so yes um primarily it's recipes um and uh i do a good portion of food travel um i have a series called 48 hour foodie and that is something where i will take basically condense everything that I do in a city into what you could feasibly do in 48 hours, um, depending on whether you're with your family, um, you know, with young kids or with your significant other, um, or if you're just by yourself. And it just gears towards that food experience so that you're not only getting great food, but you're also experiencing the city itself. And I do a lot of um, local stuff as well around Denver, which is really nice. And I want to get back to the 48 hour foodie thing, but I think it's so important because I don't know, it's uh, as Deborah and I travel, it's hard to spend more than three nights in a city in four ish days. Not like there's not enough to do, but there's sort of this wanting to see another city even when we travel in europe or africa or asia it's sort of you want to see more and Mm -hmm. and i guess that's just being fast-paced but i think it's you're over there you're you're seeing these cities why not move Mm -hmm. and one of the things to do i think is awesome is actually eat your way through the city yep because you can see the sights, you can see the stuff, but you also experience the culture and the people. I'm, I'm not talking like the mainstream, but you sort of go off on these weird beaten paths and just walk and go places and and see what the locals do and experience yeah. the culture. It's not just tourism for the sake of seeing a city anymore, where if you add in your food, 
you actually travel to places and go to local neighborhoods and don't stay in the norm, especially with Airbnb also. You're not mm-hmm. staying in the touristy areas anymore. You're actually going out into the cities and staying there. So, I mean, tell us more about that. Give us an example of one of the cities you've recently done. Oh, gosh. Um, or your favorite one. How about that one? <laughs> my favorite. Uh, gosh, I'd have to say Copenhagen. Um, that's just one of my favorite cities in the entire world. Um, well, that in Tokyo. But uh, <laughs> Copenhagen, um, we we stayed at a hotel, um, which is one of the few times we did. But it, like you said, um, you know, you have all the tourist places in every city. And it's really great to go to those places, but you don't really get a sense of what it's like to live there and be a part of the culture. And that's something that my husband and I are very passionate about. Um, it's something that I like to talk about a lot on my blog. Um, you know, and we, I think one of my favorite times is, uh, I actually had the opportunity to go have a meal at Fisk bar in Copenhagen. And it's in this really cool, like random meat packaging district that they repurposed. So it has the same like white tiles that were in there. I mean, obviously they've cleaned it and bleached it to death. Um, but it like, it's these like old warehouses and oddly enough, slaughterhouses that they've repurposed into an entire, um, Honestly, it's like a foodie heaven. There's um, a Keller bar. I don't know if you're familiar with their beers, but there's a place there. Um, there's Feast Bar, which is uh, Michelin Bib Gourmet, and honestly, one of the best meals I've had in my life. Um, but they have this center in the middle of all that. It, just imagine this big square of buildings, and you have all these restaurants. And then in the center, they have this like outdoor food stalls where they have cocktails and brats and just all this local street food that you can go and pick around and they have a bunch of picnic tables so it's all this it's just this giant community gathering place in the center that's all revolving around food and that's something that you don't really get when you go to those tourist places because the closest places to the tourist sites are usually um you know, they're either overpriced or they're not going to be the best food they're not going to really give you a sense you're just getting that tourist element yeah so that was amazing and copenhagen's an interesting city there's just being from colorado we were curious about what this green district was so we ventured over there which if anyone doesn't know they actually sell marijuana out of these little booths and they wear ski masks (laughs) but to just as a side note and it's sort of like legal but not illegal i mean illegal but legal in a weird way because they kind of turn um an eye on it but the one of the things I liked about Copenhagen, and I exactly, I've been to that food market because Deborah yes. and I target place like that, and we sort of look for them. Is we stayed in, stayed in an Airbnb, we didn't stay in where all the tourists are, and while we did some of the tourist things, the thing we enjoyed the mar- the most was the markets. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that shocked me, and I mean, this was almost four years ago now, is that the hip trends that they were already seeing and and taking advantage of, like we talk about paleo here as a diet, they have actually paleo restaurants and stalls going on and, and things like that, that actually they really embrace it and they take it the next step. And we were in Norway also during the same trip and it was the same type of thing. They're taking these old warehouses and slaughterhouses or, you know, old, I think in Norway it was, um, it was an old greenhouse. They had con- oh. big old like industrial greenhouse and turned it into food slots and things like that. And, so cool. 
I mean, it's really a great way for entrepreneurs to get their, their, get started here. We do a lot more food trucks. I feel like it's the way we do it in Denver, but over there they had these spaces and why not repurpose them? So I Mm -hmm. think it's so cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Actually, one of my favorite parts was that they give you actually beer and you can go ride the swans in the main ponds that are in the middle of the city. So, Oh my gosh, that's fun. (laughs) Yeah. And I weigh about twice as much as Deborah, so the thing was definitely <laughs> lopsided. <laughs> Just needed to have her holding two beers to balance <laughs> yeah, it out. Balance it out. <laughs> so, I mean, so you've started this blog, and and you're you're doing it. I mean, so, I mean, how do you? I mean, it's obviously it makes money. So, how do you monetize something like this? How do you? You know, is it through advertising? Is it through ambassadorship? I mean, how do you? turn it around and then make it a livelihood because it is what you do full time now. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a combination of different, um, streams of income. Uh, and I think that's probably the biggest advice that I could ever give to any fellow food blogger is making sure that you have multiple streams of income because you never know when one might dry up for a month. Um, it can be a little, you know, a little scary month to month sometimes, uh, especially when it's not the holidays, the holidays are like my big, big time. So when you're on those slower months, uh, you know, like quarter one and two, um, you want to make sure you have those other revenue streams. So the ones that I rely on the most, um, definitely ads. Um, I'm part of a ad network, um, that works to help me get the best ads and make sure that it's, uh, on brand with myself so I can, you know, filter out the ones that I don't want and they place everything for me, which is fantastic. Um, takes the work off of me, uh, to do that versus going through like Google ads. Um, but I also, I am, I work as a brand ambassador. Um, for example, head country, I'm their brand ambassador this year, um, for their barbecue sauces and seasonings. And then, uh, I also work with a variety of different brands, um, from, I've worked with instant pot, KitchenAid, um, most recently I'm working with, um, uh, Cash Valley Cheese, which is new here to Denver, actually, um, coming out in Safeway Markets. And then uh, you can also, I mean, I also monetize uh, by, I used to have like a small ebook. And so looking into do more ebooks and other people do courses and things like that, which I'm actually looking into doing as well. I'm hoping to launch a course by the end of the year um, that's more approachable for home cooks to give them a way to actually utilize uh, everything that they have in their pantry to create new and bold flavors without feeling the pressure of you know, creating a four course meal for a, you know, a dinner party when they're having some friends over. And I think of food needs to be simple. So I like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like a vegetable, a a side of rice and a protein is more than enough, but Mm -hmm. if you make it flavorful, it's more impactful than serving four dishes. Exactly. And there are a lot of recipes out there that are pretty deceptively easy, but they seem pretty fancy. And that's kind of the vibe that I go for on my blog is something that is really easy to make when you break it down into a few steps, but you know, people are going to come over and be like, Whoa, you made that. That's kind of the reaction that I'm always hoping for whenever I serve my food. So <laughs> well, Instapot's a huge one. I know it plays oh, yeah. a huge role in our house and, uh, cause it's so easy and it, you don't need the slow cook stuff. Although I still like slow cooking, but mm-hmm. you can have stuff done so fast that yeah. it's just amazing. And, um, pressure, cooking or pressure frying of any of that sorts. Uh, Mm -hmm. It just does some amazing things to food in terms of pulling flavors into the product. So I think that's pretty cool. Definitely. So so I'm going to 
ask a secondary question, but the, my first question is, can you define what a brand ambassador is? Uh, yes. So essentially you're, um, you're representing that brand through your platform. Um, so for head country, for example, I have, a, you know, a contract with them that I am representing them for the full year. Um, and it also, you know, it has to do with attending events, um, talking about them, uh, and actually showing ways to use them in easy, no frills kind of ways on my blog. Um, but also doing, you know, custom recipes. So I will pump out, you know, a few posts a year for them. Um, but it's also, it's a little more of connecting with the brand itself instead of just doing a one-off post. It's more of a commitment to the year and actually, you know, taking a brand that you're truly passionate about, which I, I truly do love head country. I don't know if you've ever had their sauces, but they're super affordable. And like, you just throw that and some chicken breast in an instant pot for 20 minutes and you have the easiest barbecue shredded chicken you'll ever make in your life. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely, more than just a post, which that's kind of what I like to do. Um, and I know a lot of other bloggers like to do just because it, uh, it's more authentic when you're representing a brand that you truly care about. And so do you turn down brands then do a lot of people approach you and you're just like, I'm not interested. I mean, I've got to Mm -hmm. imagine that you have this poll, you have a social media following, you obviously have following on your blog. Um, which is why I asked you to come on the podcast because I see (laughs) that you're successful Mm-hmm. in as an entrepreneur and in, in this space, but how, I mean, you've got to get people that you're just like, I mean, how do I do this? Or, I mean, is it a money thing? Is it come to a certain amount of money? I mean, is it belief in the product? I mean, there's all these questions. I'm like, I mean, <laughs> you have this formula obviously, but, and you don't need to give away the ranch, but I'm sort of <laughs> like, it's gotta be, overwhelming sometimes because I know what I go through as a co-packer and how many people flock to us and and trying to just, is this going to work for us, you know, and how the relationship and all the different levels of things that you have to go through just to produce something for someone. So I can't imagine Mm -hmm. what it's like just to represent someone. Yeah, it, it definitely can get overwhelming from time to time. Um, there are a lot of emails that I get on a daily basis. <laughs> um, so my inbox is always feeling like it's full. Um, but for me, I really just have to ask myself, um, you know, first, is it a brand that I would want to work with? Or, you know, is it a, a brand that's true to me and true to my brand? And that is the most important question for me to answer. And so I do say no, um, you know, for certain brands that just aren't a good fit. I mean, sometimes they get reached out to by brands that are, you know, targeting more families with kids and things like that. And I currently, I'm I'm married, but I don't have any kids yet. So, um, it's very much, uh, not, you know, it's not really authentic. I can't really speak about this product that would help my child when I don't have a child. (laughs) Um, so it's kind of, you know, you have to really make sure that you're weeding out those and, um, you know, it, it does sometimes come down to a monetary thing. You know, you definitely, it, it takes time to put together that content that you're creating and to make a recipe, to shop for it, to test the recipe, to photograph it, and then write a whole post and, you know, edit those pictures. It's, it can be a big project. And, you know, unfortunately there are some brands out there who, um, are only looking for it in exchange, you know, for quote unquote exposure, um, which, you know, uh, I hate to see, um, unless it, you know, 
it's just, it's too bad to see a lot of bloggers kind of fall into that trap. Um, because it, you know, you really have to know that your time is valuable and you are do, you know, you're performing a service and it's not just, you know, access to your audience. It's also access to your talent. And that's a, a big part of it that some brands don't seem to understand. Yeah, I find it interesting. And I, I myself on my personal page and things like that, and I don't even have that many followers, but I think it's just because I have, am so in the food industry, how many people mm-hmm. come to me and they're like, oh, we'll give you product. Yeah. Well, what do I need product for? I produce food. Right. And like, I don't like, I, can't, I got food coming out of my ears. Exactly. And, and it's not worthwhile of my time. And then there's, you know, even with the podcast, people come forward to sponsor it and I don't take any sponsors, but it's been interesting to see, um, we've had probably about 45 offers. And even though I say I will never advertise like on the podcast, people still, obviously I'm like, well, number one, it's no, because you haven't read the fine print. So you don't really know what the podcast is about. If you see my episodes, I never advertise Mm -hmm. because I'm giving it away. And just to give back. But the second part is, is some of the offers. I'm like, you want me to spend how much time representing your product and you'll send me a case of X beverage every week. And that's your payment. I can't even drink a case of it a week. Number one. And number two, you know, no, like Mm -hmm. it's not worth my time. And so, so I'm just curious, which is why I'm like, people actually go out there and do this stuff. But I've got to imagine like, you know, some of the offers have been pretty financially, you know, considering, but I, again, I turn it down again because I will never advertise, but it's, it's interesting, the difference in the product. And you can always tell if mm-hmm. a product's going to do well, because I've been right. in the business co-producing for long enough. And, and in the 16 plus years, I've been doing what I've been doing. You can usually tell right off the bat if someone's going to be successful based on their attitude and based on the way they see things. And, and it's, it's a partnership. And when the, it's yep. just a service being provided one way or the other and it's one-sided, there's not a successful relationship there. So I don't know if, if that's sort of what you experience because like literally I've, been, I've had a few days off of recording podcasts. So I've been thinking about this episode. I'm like, you know, I wonder if this happens to you because you're really representing these products out there but mm-hmm. some of the offers you must get you it must make you I got to imagine I laugh sometimes I'm like seriously oh, yeah. yeah definitely I mean I've been offered I mean definitely a lot of product and unfortunately product won't pay my bills so it yeah. doesn't really I can't pay in beverages or you know yeah. food so that doesn't really help me out and uh you know some of those offers that I get are so lowballed. I mean, I've had offers uh, to pay me $25 for a post and it's like, uh, yeah, that's not even covering like enough time to make the recipe or the ingredients themselves. Like how yeah. would that even work? Um, so it's, it, it can be very frustrating. Um, honestly, it's probably one of my biggest frustrations is, uh, getting those kinds of inquiries, um, or getting those kinds of responses when I'm reaching out, you know, and that's, I've changed my language a lot recently. Um, instead of talking about sponsorship, I'm, I'm using the word partnership because like you said, it truly is a partnership that I'm, I'm agreeing to. And you know, this isn't just, I'm going to snap a photo with my iPhone and throw it up on my website or throw it up on my Instagram feed, you know, and it's going to take me five minutes and I'm just going to do it for 25 bucks and say, cool. Um, you know, I really, 
care about what I'm putting out there and what shows up on my site. And I'm not going to represent brands that, you know, don't fit my view and also don't take my site seriously. I mean, like you said, you have people reaching out to you, obviously haven't listened when you've said you don't actually accept sponsorship. Um, There are a lot of brands that just obviously have never read my blog and will reach out, you know, saying we're vegan and, um, you know, paleo and everything. And it's like, I don't represent that at all. Yeah. You know, that's just not my niche at all. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a struggle. Yeah. So I guess it, and, and since we're, we're trying to, part of this is educating the entrepreneur because mm-hmm. like, to me, that's a fundamental mistake up front. Like I, I will always remember when you didn't read it. Like I, I know, you mm-hmm. know, oh, yeah. and I'm like, you made them, you didn't do your research before you came to me. And mm-hmm. so how do I, I can't have a partnership with you when you didn't even do your homework because I certainly do my homework before I bring anyone on the podcast and, and research their products and their websites and their social media before I even ask them to be on. So Mm -hmm. it's one of those things. If you could tell people what, you know, if they wanted to work with you, if they wanted to be on cake and knife blog, I mean, what are the criteria? If you had an ideal world, what are, what's the relationship look like? And you don't need to give dollars or anything, but just Mm -hmm. from, you know, the soft side of it, you know, from a relationship standpoint, you know, what is it that you, you get out of it or, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but sort of what makes you feel good about a relationship that you have with someone that you represent as a brand ambassador? I mean, I really appreciate it when brands reach out and they really know my, you know, my niche. Um, They know what I'm going for on my blog. Um, And especially, you know, if they have a product let's say cheese. Um, and they've gone into my site and actually looked and found a recipe that they're like, Hey, we really loved this. Um, it would really work great with this product that we're either trying to launch or trying to promote or trying to get more eyes on and, you know, tell me not only about their product, but also about their, their brand mission statement. Um, you know, I value brands that really are looking to be authentic And so I know when they're looking at my site and they see me as a potential partner that, you know, I'm fitting with their mission statement. And that's something that, um, you know, in an ideal world, everyone would (laughs) just come to me with that to start off with and tell me why um, they want to work with me and why they think that I would fit with their um, mission statement as well. Um, And then also come to me with, you know, honestly, I'd rather them just come to me and ask me what my rates are. Yeah. You know, and that's the biggest mistake that I feel like a lot of people do. They just say, I I can give you this. And it's like, well, you know, that's kind of risky. You could be lowballing or, you know, honestly, you could be highballing. You never know. But um, just actually ask for my rates and, you know, take them seriously. Um, You know, unfortunately, I know there are budgets out there and sometimes that doesn't match up and that's fine. But um, if it's a... If it's a project that I'm truly passionate about or I feel like it really works, um, you know, who's to say I won't still ask, like, hey, send me a sample. I'll throw you some love on social um, because, you know, I've done that before with local, like, Denver-based companies. You know, I'm very passionate about making Denver more of a, a food hub as, you know, to be yeah. seen that way. So, um, you know, you, I feel like that would be nice just to have it be 
taken as more of a partnership and less of a, hey, you have a big following. I just need to get my product in front of X number of followers without actually knowing what those followers are looking for. Well, and something that you said that I think is so important actually is at the end of the day, um, and I'm going to, someone's going to get upset about this, I'm sure. But we are for profit. Like we, mm-hmm. people are making a living. Our time's not free. And, yep. and, and when we're so asking about the rates and things like that, I mean, I think that's important to me as well. If someone asks how much we cost or what our development or R&D or what it is up front, then we cut right to the chase and what they're willing mm-hmm. to do and not to do. Yep. Because then I'm like, okay, like we understand that this partnership is both ways. Yes. And that money has to exchange hands because I still have shareholders and I still have people. But in your case, you're making a living off of it also. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm providing meals on the table and roof overheads for 300 plus employees. Yeah. But people don't take that in consideration like, oh, this is what I want. And, and you're being inconsiderate of me. But you're mm-hmm. one individual. I still got to be considerate of everyone else that, that I got to provide for. So giving it away doesn't help take care of anyone. And I think it's the same. It doesn't help take care of what you're trying to do or the other entrepreneurs that may come along and ask you to represent them. It's a disservice to the rest of the entrepreneurs that are out there and whether entrepreneurs in the food and beverage world know it or not, even if you're competitors, you need each other because Mm -hmm. like you said to the Denver hub scenario, like food hub is communities are built out of it. And I do a lot of the podcasts in Georgia as the audience hears, and we spend a lot of time in Georgia as a company building a facility there right now because they have done something amazing. They know their competitors, but they know they have to build Georgia and they're doing, there's more and more food entrepreneurs coming up and they help each other and they're building brands and they're strengthening their product line and, and getting help and the government's helping them through the university of Georgia and, and providing classes that are free and, things like that and opportunities to showcase it, but that needs to happen. So in order to do that, there has to be relationships in, in the case of us, yes, we can go help you, but we didn't get here by just giving it away. Exactly. So, you know, I think it's an interesting thing. And while I do the podcast for free, as we discuss it, no advertisements, that's a give back because I think we need to become better as a food hub. I mean, we just talked about Copenhagen and the warehouses and all these food mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. Like the reason, the way that benefits me by doing the podcast is the more of people that go out there and create food and boost food and make food better in America and, and less processed and all of the above and, and go local and all that, the better off we are as human beings and the better off food is. So in a weird indirect way, it does benefit me and the companies I, I have and things like that, because I think it's so important that we really begin to understand supporting our local economies and local food and stuff like that. And we have a saying, Deborah always gets is laughs at me because I say, you know, it's one thing to give someone a mosquito net. It's one thing to go teach them how to make the mosquito net so they can create an economy. And food mm-hmm. is that everywhere. Everyone needs to eat. Yep. And so we create economies through food. So why not encourage it? And by food, I mean food and beverage, but I sort of just classify it that way. But it sounds like you're passionate, obviously, about what you do. And you only have so much time for so many things. So (laughs) you've got to balance it out. And so it's pretty cool that you're doing it. And and Denver is just such a great um, market for all that. I mean, do you see Denver growing as a food hub? 
Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, it has been one of probably my biggest joys to see Denver just becoming this metropolis for incredible food. I mean, I, I've been here a really long time, um, so I remember when, you know... <laughs> Rhino was a place you didn't go, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, there was no, it wasn't really Rhino at all. It was just, hey, that sketchy part that you don't go to. Same with Five Points. I mean, but all of that has been renovated, and honestly, a lot of it is food and beverage. I mean, you have these amazing restaurants, cocktail bars, breweries, um, you know, you have Stem Ciders even throwing their hat in the ring, and it's just, it is really an an amazing thing to see and I am so passionate about everything here I mean it's it's becoming to a point that I can't even like pick my favorite restaurant when anyone asks me they're like oh where do I have to go and it's like (laughs) you're gonna have to narrow it down for me because there's so many different places I mean I can name like 10 off the top of my head and you won't get there in one night but you know it's uh it's quite an amazing place to be and it's really amazing to have been here and to have seen it grow from the ground up well, and to your point, I think it's interesting because it creates jobs when we put restaurants and stuff like in those communities. And we talk about gentrification, but I think it happens through restaurants and through food. And, and the more people that do it, I think Imposter City, which is someone that I noticed follows you. We did their interview. Mm-hmm. They have a food truck type brewery down there and things yeah. like that. And the what they're doing for the communities and people and creating jobs and, and lifting people up and giving them an opportunity, I think other than the opportunities that weren't there before. Cause I feel like areas like five points and things like that, the opportunities to work in your community were so limited. Yeah. And so it's an, it's a really cool thing. So I feel like we need to support those businesses and, and we need to do it. And, you know, again, I'm probably going to upset someone and I do a lot of co-packaging for chains and restaurant chains. So, but I think it is important to support the non chains in our communities and the people in our local communities because we are creating jobs within our communities to to better our communities and and better the circumstances which only raises the value of the areas that we live in if you own your property or whatever so i think it's just so cool that you're doing this for denver also i mean you're mm-hmm. here in denver you're you're a blogger you have you know 16,000 plus followers on Instagram and Mm -hmm. people really are following you and listening to you and being influenced by you as an influencer. Also, I would use that term. So it's just so cool what you're doing. And I love how you represent these companies and bring them in. And it's just amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. That means a lot. I mean, that's my biggest goal, honestly, um, is to really be able to get people excited about food you know, here in Denver, around the world, you know, to their own kitchen. It's just, I mean, why I hear so many times like, oh, you know, food is just fuel, but it's so much more than that. And, um, you know, it really makes a difference when you change that viewpoint and you really make it, you know, a centerpiece instead of just, you know, a meal to get by. Well, and I, you said it earlier when we were talking on that note is that there's so much love and family time and community around food. I mean, we really don't realize it. And and we, we do, particularly as Americans have this fuel for food and, and I'm the same way. Like if I'm in a rush and I'm working, I'm shoveling down my food. Right. But 
that being said is I've learned to embrace those times have, you know, it's how we come together as a family for Thanksgiving or Christmas, but Mm -hmm. it's where we, we go out and have drinks or we go out with our friends and we, we meals or we invite them over for barbecues. It's all centered around food. Exactly. And whether we know it or not, I mean, yes, I could be on a sports team and that's my relationship with someone, but a majority of our relationships are based around we eat or we go do events and it's, it's a, we do it together or I'm going to lunch. Let's go to lunch. If I'm at the office with my coworkers. Mm -hmm. And so it's just so important that we have that deeper understanding of what food really does in our lives and beverages. I mean, we, we get to go experience life and love through food in in a lot of ways. Exactly. And there's always so much, passion behind those, you know, whether it's a a local food product that you buy at your store or, you know, you're going to a local brewery or a new restaurant that just popped up, you can really, you know, feel that love that's put into the food and into those products. Um, you know, just with the taste and and how passionate people are about it, it's just, it's hard not to get hooked. (laughs) Um, so what are, I mean, you're basically an entrepreneur, you are an entrepreneur, not basically, but I was going to say basically food entrepreneur without actually selling food. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's just the coolest experience. Cause again, I want to get to the point of the economy. It creates all these sub industries food has for these entrepreneurs. And it, yeah. and you're a sub industry in some ways it's advertising, it's marketing, it's blogging, it's ambassador, it's influencing. I mean, there's this whole thing. So that being said, I mean, what are some of the things that you love about your, what you do and being an entrepreneur? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> there's a really long list. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I can't deny that working from home is pretty amazing, uh, compared to going to an office and being stuck, stuck in a cubicle for a really long time. Um, that's been a big life change, which has been very exciting, but honestly, the best part about what I do is the ability to be creative every single day. Um, and be creative with food. I mean, I, gosh, if you talk to me back in college, I think the most creative thing I knew how to do with food was make micro microwave uh, macaroni and cheese. That was really epic with four cheeses, including Velveeta. Probably don't, I probably shouldn't say that out loud, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, now like it, just being able to every day um, discover something new about creating new flavors, new combinations, um, and, you know, being able to use that creative side of my brain that uh, I'm, I mean, it pretty much defines me. So um, it's been nice to just be able to access it every single day, whether it's through a new recipe or taking a photo or um, even just planning content for the next month and thinking about seasonality of food and educating myself. You know, I'm, I read like a maniac and I'm always, you know, picking up the next food magazine just to see what the new trends are going to be and trying to make them accessible for people at home in a way that isn't just like, oh, that's from, you know, a food and wine magazine. Like that's something that I'm going to save for a really special occasion. You know, I want to make it something approachable that they can do in their home any night of the week. So, so, um, and I'm going to ask you what your, the things you dislike the most are, but first I want (laughs) to ask you based on that is what is your, um, what is your favorite recipe so far or a few recipes that you've done? I mean, what, what are the ones I want to point people? (laughs) Well, let me actually back up. Let's tell people where they can find you on Instagram and their website 
And then yeah. let's tell them what the, your favorite recipes are that you've worked with. Okay, that'll give me a few more seconds to narrow it down. Um, let's see. So you can find me on Instagram at cake and knife. Um, that's cake, the letter N, knife. Uh, and then my website is just cakeandknife.com. Um, so pretty easy there. Um, and then let's see, favorite recipes. Um, so my favorite cocktail right now is my clementine margarita. Um, it's has fresh clementine juice in there. It's really bright and really just sunny. It's perfect for sipping, you know, on your patio in the summer afternoon on, you know, one of those lazy days when you can just enjoy. Uh, let's see. Gosh, it's really hard to narrow it down. I did make a red, white, and blue. It's basically raspberry, blueberry, and strawberry galette, um, which is a deceptively simple recipe. I know it sounds really fancy, but it's so easy to make. It's so much easier than making a pie. Um, but that is coming out tomorrow, actually, on my blog, which, well, actually, that'll be <laughs> a couple months ago since this yeah. is airing later. <laughs> Um, but you'll be able to look that up actually perfect for July 4th. Um, so it's uh, got a little patriotic flair there, but it's just super easy. It really highlights the fruit. Um, that's probably my favorite dessert. And then I'd have to say my favorite meal is I do a soy marinated flank steak on top of creamy, um, kale peanut noodles. It's so good any time of year, like, it's just the the tang of the marinade with the steak. Um, you know, you can grill it or cook it on your stove and then serve it over kind of a one-pot creamy kale noodle. Um, it's a udon noodle. It's, oh, it's just so good. Let's go back to the... I just drooled almost. Let's go back to the... Um, <laughs> Red, white, and blue cake, because it is, this episode is airing July 3rd, which is the Mm -hmm. day before 4th of July, so I'm sure people are running around like, what am I going to do for this picnic or that thing? So, I mean, do you mind going into detail, like walking us through the recipe? I mean, people should go look at it, but let's, I want them to really imagine the the recipe and and making it in in their head as you talk about it. Yeah, um, so it's pretty simple. I mean, it starts with a homemade pie crust. I know a lot of people might say, oh, well, I'm just going to go buy it. But this pie crust is literally foolproof. I've been using it for six years. I've never had a problem with it. Um, It just starts with, you know, you have your dry ingredients in a bowl. You add chilled butter. Um, I use my hands and just pinch cut the butter in that way by pinching it between my fingers, um, getting it down to pea size. Then you drizzle over some cold water and you bring it all together, um, knead it a few times, and then you stick it in the fridge for about 30 minutes. So while that's going on, you just grab yourself a cold glass of wine, relax, and then pull it back out, um, and you go ahead and make the filling. The filling is basically just raspberries, blueberries, and strawberries that have been quartered, and you combine that with some cornstarch, brown sugar, lemon juice, mix it all up so it all coats, and then you let it sit for a minute while you roll out the dough. You roll it out into about you know 14 to 15 inch circle. Um, you just plop the filling right in the center, and when I say plop, I really do mean just plop it down. <laughs> you know, there's no, I really appreciate more rustic presentations so you don't have to worry about you know layering the strawberries and everything perfectly um you just put it down in the center and then you fold up the edges uh around that filling and you know you can pinch it to kind of pleat it but again it doesn't have to be perfect you're going for kind of a rustic look anyways so whatever 
it turns out to be, it's gonna look beautiful. Um, and then the final touch is brushing the edges with uh, melted butter and then a sprinkle of raw turbinado sugar. It kind of gives it a little bit of sparkle and crunch on the crust and stick it in the oven, bake it for about, I think it's about 35 minutes if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head and take it out. You just let it rest a few minutes before you actually cut into it and serve it with some vanilla ice cream and what well, sounds like perfect for 4th of July. Yeah, it's so good. It's perfect for the end of whatever big grilling, you know, bonanza you have like planned, <laughs> you know, like there whether it's hot dogs and hamburgers or you're like grilling up steaks, it's just the perfect closer to any summer meal. That's awesome. So do you blog about restaurants and stuff you go to as well then? I mean, we talked about the recipes just now, so I want mm-hmm. I mean, so Give me an example of a restaurant that you were just at in Denver that you blogged about. Uh, let's see. Most recently, I haven't blogged about it, but I've been sharing a lot on Instagram lately, um, is uh, Spanky's Roadhouse. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not. Um, so I used to go to DU, and Spanky's Roadhouse has been there ever since I was a freshman. Um, it used to be like this divey bar, but they recently went through a whole renovation, and I was seriously impressed when I walked in. I mean, their patio is now these roll-up windows, so it's, like, very airy. And um, they do a brunch on um, Saturdays and Sundays that is, you know, they have bottomless mimosas. They have a giant Bloody Mary bar with, like, every hot sauce you could ever think of in the entire world is there. Um, They have the most, like, creative. It's, you know, it's very diner-inspired food but it's elevated um and yeah their jalapeno country gravy on their biscuits is just it's money it's so good <laughs> and I, I love biscuits and gravy actually but, yeah so that, uh, now i'm interested yeah you need to go <laughs> it's a great name also spanky right and um so i'm just curious then i mean so I mean, just like that, it's just something you're like, this is in my neighborhood. Are you still Mm -hmm. in the DU area? Yeah, I'm pretty close. I'm, you know, just about five minutes outside of the close neighborhood. So it's pretty darn close for me. And so, I mean, you're, you're blogging about it just for the sake of talking about it, right? I mean, you're giving Mm -hmm. back, I mean, with no, I mean, other than you're spreading the word, but there's no reward to you directly per se no um i mean i do occasionally attend influencer events that are planned by pr firms that you know um work for the restaurant so that sometimes is how i get an opportunity to taste the food um at you know in exchange for possible coverage but it's definitely um not what i'm always doing you know normally anytime i go out anywhere here locally i'm always you know putting it on my instagram stories having people follow along um throwing it up on my instagram posts and then i have some guides on my blog as well like i have the ultimate um guide to pizza and beer um that breaks down by neighborhood in denver that i'm constantly adding to um just the best places to grab you know good pizza and beer uh things like that i like to highlight on my blog too i I think that's awesome yeah and spending time in new york city and living there for for a while i think pizza is such a awesome thing to talk Mm -hmm. about and beer and they go together obviously so yeah I mean, let's talk, what's your favorite pizza and what's your favorite beer? You're like, I can't pick a favorite Ooh, one, but... so hard. Oh, gosh. Um, you can name a few if you want. Okay, I'd have to say Hops and Pie is probably my top. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there over on Tennyson. I have not, but oh, I'm man. making a list. Get there immediately because their pizza is incredible. Um, I th- My personal favorite, actually, from there is their dish- 
Detroit style pizza. Um, so it's really thick. It's like that deep dish pan deliciousness. Um, but they make everything in house. Um, they actually make all their, um, dough is made with beer and then they have the most incredible tap list. Like it's constantly rotating, really great place to stop in. Um, their happy hour is incredible. That's definitely my top. Um, I'd also have to say, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, gosh, Perry's pizza is a good one. If you love beer, um, I definitely really like the tap list that they have and they're, you know, they usually do a takeover of some sort of local brewery, which I really love. And then, um, yeah, if you go there, definitely this isn't pizza, but try their meatball bake. Um, that's a really good one too. <laughs> My husband and I devoured that in about two minutes flat. Like awesome. it was so good. Um, yeah. So those are a couple. And then blue pan. I don't know if you've been there, but that's, that's another really good one. It's like over in the Highlands area. And so how, I mean, you've come up with all these ideas. I mean, so you're obviously creative, but not only you've talked about creating your own recipes and blogging about it, but now you've also created the best pizzas and beer in each neighborhood list. And you have, you know, 48 hours in foodie and what, what that's going on. So, I mean, are these things that just sort of come to you as you're out and about, or are they things you think about? Because I mean, there's a lot of creativity there, right? Yeah. Um, I mean the 48 hour foodie, kind of evolved from me wanting to talk about a city that I visited in terms of food. Um, but knowing kind of like we discussed before, um, you know, there's usually a passion for actually, you know, you're going to stay a few days in one place and then you're going to move on to the next, especially when you're going to, you know, far away places like Europe and Asia, you're going to try to pack in as much as you can because you just, you know, spent however much money on a flight to get across the ocean. So, um, it kind of stemmed out of that idea. And for me, I've had, when I was working in marketing, I would travel a lot and I would only have 48 hours in a lot of places. So I didn't have a lot of downtime, but I was planning food events for, you know, our brokers and investors and everything while I was there. So I would get a good snapshot of those cities, you know, planning those events. And it just kind of all clicked together for me um, when I really started wanting to impart the travel aspect onto my blog. And then, yeah. Just I mean, has been ongoing. I, I got to imagine you're always trying to make sure it stays interesting and you mm -hmm. kind of change it up because people get bored of things. And so you're, you're making sure that it's always, I don't, I mean, I guess that's partly part of it. I'm not sure, but is that part of the thinking there is how do you just create something that people can interest in and mm -hmm. keep them interested in your blog? Or is it something that you're like, Oh, I want to attract new people to blog or is it purely just, I'm doing this for fun. This is what motivates and inspires me. And, or I wish I had this list. I mean, it definitely started out as a, I wish I had this list because whenever I travel, I am a massive researcher. Um, so having places that actually, you know, recommend restaurants that aren't just like you know, the top five in the Zagat, like there are actually places that you can go and experience, you know, the culture of the city. That's something that I always felt was missing from a lot of the roundups of restaurants that I would read about each city that I was going to. And I'd really have to track it down. Um, so I, you know, it started as a passion project, just being able to put out there what I would wish I could have. And, um, from there, you know, it's become more of a, I mean, I've collaborated with a few different cities and a few different um, 
you know, I've worked with Carnival, the cruise line as well, just to do something fresh and new. Um, like I did a cruise ship for millennials guide, um, which is very, you know, there really isn't a lot of that out there. Um, so it is a lot, you know, now about keeping it fresh and new and really, um, clicking into each city and, you know, those cultural things, the things that have been there for a while, you know, like the staples that are like the hidden gems and also, you know, the new, the newer cocktail bars, the newer restaurants, the things that are kind of making waves in that city, um, that are exciting the people that live there. Yeah. And it may be, and someone may already do this, but I know that we use a lot of books and we do research on the internet and, but no one, I feel like if someone could come up with a way to actually just see the city. I mean, I don't need to go in every church and everything, but I like seeing the outside at the very least or the bookstores or whatever, the cool little spots. But if there was a way to like literally eat and drink your way as you were doing it and and do Mm -hmm. an actual tour over day one, day two. And I know like in Lonely Planet, they give little excerpts or if you have two days or four days, this is what you should do. But it's, they don't tie together the restaurants. And I feel like they, they give people options. But if there was like, this is what you should do and you could follow it, I think it would be really cool. Mm-hmm. And we actually interviewed a company on here. It's called My Wine Society. And they sort of do it with wine tours oh, cool. in places where they actually tell you where to go. And then you get points if you stop there and they sort of gamify it as well. Huh. But it's... I'm just like, it's such a great idea because I don't feel that it's easy enough to find that information, mm-hmm. at least in my experience. And, you know, it's, it's hard because you, you don't want to be on a schedule necessarily when you travel. So you want the flexibility to choose it on your own. But I feel like if it's the first day there to kind of get your bearings, if someone like mapped out your first day and then from there you have suggestions, it might be kind of cool. I don't know. We travel a lot and it's always interesting and it's different traveling with the kids than with or by ourselves and what we do versus what they do, which actually right. interestingly, they're both Maddie and Zoe are in college yet. When Deborah and I travel together, we stay out later and, <laughs> and sleep in longer. It's kind of an interesting thing. We try to do the food and the nightlife and meet the people and, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's a little bit different and not, not one's better or worse than the other. It's just, you know, it's this whole perspective. So I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent, but I <laughs> no, think I like it's it. just so cool, like what you're doing and for people. So back to the question that I sort of skated over, which are what are some <laughs> of the things you don't like doing oh, about darn. being an entrepreneur? I was hoping you would forget that one. Um, <laughs> gosh, I mean, I think honestly, my. My biggest struggle is getting caught in the weeds of day-to-day. And I think that that is the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur where it's just me and no one else is really helping me out. Um, It's so easy to just kind of put your head down, you know, dive into what you're doing and just kind of go, go, go without remembering your big picture or what you're really trying to accomplish. And, um, you know, you just start checking tasks off the list. And that has been probably my, honestly, my biggest, it's my biggest struggle. My biggest flaw is that I do that a lot. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard to actually take that step back, but I actually, oops, sorry, <laughs> I, uh, I listened to your Monday motivational, um, I think it was episode 53, 
if I'm right. Yeah, 51. 51? Yeah, 51. In there. Um, but I listened to that one, and you had a quote about Walt Disney um, and kind of, you know, dreaming big and then diving in and doing the work. And I think that, you know, that really resonated with me because it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I, you know, that's probably my biggest struggle is to try to do that on a daily basis. And I actually wrote out that quote and have it taped to my computer now because it's just like, I need to remember that, but, um, it's one of those things that I think you just get into and, you know, you end up, I guess I end up just feeling like I'm, I ended up wasting time by doing those tasks that I weren't really focused on the big picture. Um, and I think that's probably one of those things that I do to myself (laughs) that I don't like, but (laughs) you know, it's hard when all the responsibilities on your shoulders, um, and trying to do that and getting everything accomplished in one day, um, I know it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> you know, you want to help everyone. But mm-hmm. I think one of the things to the Walt Disney thing is you are a dream builder in ways. Mm-hmm. Like, and obviously there should be financial reward for it, but I think you do help people build their dreams and, and posting about spankies or, or giving back and things that you do that is just you doing it for the sake of doing it. And as an entrepreneur, as a person that's found her niche in, in food and beverage, I think it's so cool that you are giving back in the ways that you do, even with your lists. I mean, it's not like someone's paying you to be on the list. You're just doing that. Or what's your 48 hour foodie? You know, you're just giving back and helping people Mm -hmm. and, and all of it because, you know, you want to build your reputation in your blog, but at the same time and followers and advertisements obviously come off of those followers. And that's how you reap the financial reward. But I think most of all, it's that, you're providing a service that people want yeah, and people need. And it's really great for the communities and it's really great for the people, the pizza places and the beer microbreweries and they get exposure Mm -hmm. because they need to do well, you know, and Mm -hmm. you know, it's great that we have big beer companies. Don't get me wrong, but there's a (laughs) lot of entrepreneurs out there creating jobs and small spaces in their neighborhoods. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, by just producing beer for for their local areas and things like that. So I think it's really cool that we help, you know, uplift these these businesses and entrepreneurs. Yeah, definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. And so my last question for you as we start to wrap things up is mm-hmm. really what what motivates you and inspires you every day? I mean, every day you have to get up and, and sort of Cause I mean, there's gotta be days you're like, why am I doing this? I just can't do it anymore. It gets repetitive or whatever. So what keeps you going? Oh man. Um, I mean, there are a few different things, uh, every day. I just this year, I kind of started a habit of every day. The first thing that I do is I sit down and I just write out a quick list of what I'm excited about doing that day. Um, and what I'm grateful for that day. And it's really helped because it, instead of waking up and saying, you know, like, oh God, I have to do this and I have to do that. It's more like, oh, I remember that I get to do this, you know, and I get to actually make this my life. And it kind of, you know, despite whatever bad mood or crazy deadline that I'm trying to meet, um, it always helps me at least remember, um, that I'm doing what I love. And, you know, you kind of have to remind yourself of that some days, which is odd to say, but you do, you know, you kind of get in the thick of it and you forget that you're actually doing something that you love. Um, and then, you know, my, I get a lot of motivation from a small community of bloggers. Um, we chat 
almost every day, um, you know, because we're all behind our screens and it can be very isolating to just, you know, do your work. So we kind of chat every day and motivate each other and remind each other that, you know, we're talented and, you know, we have worth and we have value and, you know, whatever we need to hear that day because sometimes, you know, sometimes you can be like, oh gosh, you know, I only got like half the amount of likes on this post. Like, am I irrelevant now? Like, you know, am I falling off the face of the planet? (laughs) So, you know, it's a lot of, you know, you're looking for a lot of feedback that sometimes you don't get, um, outright in comments or, you know, in likes and yeah, it, uh, it's nice to have that small community to actually, um, give you that support. Well, and one of the things that I think is so important is that in the world that you're in, and I'm learning this in the podcast world is it's, <laughs> it, it does feel that way. Sometimes you post stuff in the likes and what am I doing wrong? Or this episode didn't do as well as the other ones. Why, mm-hmm. you know, and there, you know, and every once in a while we'll hit a week that just is a slump week for whatever reason. It has nothing to do with the episode itself. I'm starting to realize it has to do with just, there's so many external factors and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then, being in 56 countries and, and the amount of downloads we're getting, they go in streaks. It's the weirdest thing. And oh, we, really? we talked about this beforehand, mm-hmm. you know, holidays matter yeah. and travel matters because people would download like 20 episodes at a time if they're going on a trip to listen to. So it's not mm-hmm. necessarily something that happens all the time. And I'm sure it's the same as a blog. It's like, okay, a holiday's coming up. Let me go through the blog and find a bunch of recipes because I have family coming into town. Exactly. And so, but... I agree with you as I, and I work from home most of the time as well when I'm home in Colorado, because we don't do anything here. All of our offices are spread throughout the United States, ironically. But when I'm here sometimes and I go through a week and a half or two weeks and I'm recording a lot of podcasts and, and I, or I hit a slump or something doesn't go well, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, God, what am I doing wrong? Or did I just lose relevance or, you know, did, yep. you know, and it, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of insane to think about, you know, I realize that there's a little bit of insanity there, but it is a feeling when it is your whole life and you're putting your whole, you know, time into and your spirit and your soul and you're trying to give back and, 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 and it, you know, it's helping people, but you're like, Oh my gosh, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? Did I miss post? And it's this crazy thing. And I heard this quote the other day. Um, and I'm, I can't quote it off the top of my head, but it's, it had something to do with like being an entrepreneur is the loneliest place. Mm -hmm. And when you work for yourself, it is the loneliest place because you know, while you may have people working for you and people around you, you live and die by your everyday action. And it's a lonely feeling because you're doing it alone. And in in my case, I have Deborah as a business partner, but it's still sometimes where we're separated or we're doing our own things or pursuing different projects and things like that. And you're, there's a feeling of like, Oh my gosh, there's no one here but me. And, and you're like, you know, and I, I'm naturally introverted anyway, but it's, um, it's an interesting thing, like even getting out on the podcast and he blows peering people's responses. So, but it also goes the other way. Like there's never in a million years I would have imagined I'd be in 56 countries in four months, you know? So there's this yeah. gratitude and humbling that goes on and like, okay, maybe there is people that are actually care and listening and want to hear about food entrepreneurs such as yourself. And, you know, in your case, I mean, I'm just, I see it. I can see the likes and things like that. Cause I follow everyone that's on on the podcast because I take an interest because I'm vested in them now. And 
it's really cool to see what you're doing and the people. I mean, there's people out there that you're making an influence on. I mean, it's a huge thing. I mean, you go mm-hmm. behind a cubicle for some corporation, you don't see the impact you're making. It's not tangible, mm-hmm. you know? And so this is a little more tangible and why it's not direct sales. It is people following your products and, and your posts and your recipes and all those cool things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I get the biggest reward when someone comments and says, you know, I actually made this and it was incredible. You know, that just means so much to know that like that recipe that I put out there months ago, you know, they made and they actually enjoyed. And it's just like, wow, like it's actually coming to life in people's homes. That's, it's pretty damn cool. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, you can cuss on here. We, we, just that everyone who downloads the podcast knows we go explicit. Uh. <laughs> I've had my cuss words here and there. Okay. Just so you know, and and it's truly, I mean, one of the things that we just talked about, I mean, speaking of cuss words is we really live by this in our corporation is AFCO. It's another fucking growing opportunity. If something doesn't go right, it's not what actually is happening to you. It's what happening for you to grow. Yes. And, And to your other point, it's, we get to do this. We get to be entrepreneurs. We get it not only because we're alive and we've lived another day, so we should enjoy every day and the opportunity that we have, but we're getting to live the life that we want. It's not a have to. Right. And part of being an entrepreneur is that, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes you're like, oh gosh, I have to, and I have to wake up and I make sure I need to get this done. And I'm motivated because I want food on the table for my employees or the people around me or whatever, or the people I represent. But at the end of the day, I'm doing it because I get to. Exactly. I don't have to. I could go take a job with, with everyone else and, and do what you said and be stuck in a cubicle, but I don't mm-hmm. want to. I get to not do that. And the appreciation that and gratitude that I just need to be grateful that it's all there is so cool. Exactly. And so I just really love that you said that. So, Megan, I'd love to have you back on the podcast in a yeah. few months and continue to tell the story and give you a chance to sort of take away what we talked about here and think about it and see how we talk about things and, and come back and, and do it again and continue to tell your story. And maybe we get more specific into some of your recipes or some of your products and things like that and really just help expose you and things like that to a greater audience and maybe even in 56 countries increase your travels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be amazing. Yeah, I'd be thrilled. Awesome. Definitely. So thank you again. And thank you everyone thank you. in the audience who's listening in and taking the time to listen to the podcast. If you want to reach out to me, it's Justin at the food com is my email address and at Justin, the food entrepreneurs on Instagram and Facebook. So Thank you everyone for listening in and have a great day.